You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible, find the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. We have been in John's Gospel for several weeks, um, several months, and um, we're back to John. We had taken a little detour for the last few weeks as we were in our 21 days of prayer and fasting as a community in the book of Philippians. We're in John's Gospel, the 11th chapter, John chapter 11. It's a, a very familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to look at it over the next couple of weeks. Uh, it is a passage of Scripture. It's, it's kind of... Uh, funny sometimes uh, how things kind of just working on a calendar. This past Friday night, we had uh, Karen Peck and New River, Southern Gospel Group, uh, that was with us. We had a great time of, of just coming together and singing and fellowshipping and worship and had a nice crowd here. But one of their songs that they are known for is uh, Four Days Late. And so uh, Karen and them sang Four Days Late and got us all fired up and sat down. And I looked over there and said, I'm preaching John 11 Sunday morning. And uh, so um, I was told by someone close to a staff member's wife that that staff member's wife has sang four days late many times in her life. So just saying four days late will be coming in a couple of days, in a couple of weeks, yes. So, But it's a familiar passage of Scripture. It is the story of, of Lazarus. We know the story. Lazarus dies. They call for Jesus. He seems to drag his feet a little bit, and he gets to the tomb, and he calls forth Lazarus. Lazarus! And I, I shared this vacation Bible school. I remember being in vacation Bible school. I was teaching the young kids, and, and I remember asking the kids, what did Jesus say at Lazarus' tomb? And one of our uh, grandkids of our church members stood up in perfect King James verbatim, Lazarus, come forth! <laughs> and that's what, that's what happened. A preacher said that, I heard a preacher, I read a, a preacher said in one of his sermons that if he wouldn't have put Lazarus come forth, everybody would have come forth. But just think about that. Just, I'm going to say this and then get into the text. He had been dead four days. They had had the funeral. They'd cleaned up the flowers. The dirt still fresh. The tomb. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. What a picture. What a picture of God's love. I want us to look at these first 16 verses of this. It's going to take me a couple of weeks to walk through it because it's just, it's just a great text. It's just a great message. And sometimes I think we go through the word too quick. 
I want us to look at John chapter 11, 1 through 16. And I want us to think about it this way. Lazarus, come forth. For God so loved. And as we look in the text, I think you're going to see that there's a true understanding of God's love as we look at these 16 verses. As we anticipate that day of the empty tomb. We see God and his love for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We see this redemptive love by literally raising Lazarus. We won't see it today. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. That is a a redemptive, powerful love that he has. And then we see this God's sovereign love. That there is an all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God that is always working in the background to do exactly what needs to be done so that he can prove that he is God and that we can see his love manifested through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful love. And so let's open our Bibles and begin there in verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love, read that again, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And his disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again? Now you need to remember, let's stop there in verse 8. As we have gotten to John chapter 11 and we went through John chapter 8 and 9 and, and 10, there was the persecution is mounting, the persecution is mounting. And the crescendo of this persecution is just a couple of chapters away as Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem where he is held as king only to be crucified and arrested just a a short days later. So the, the persecution is mounting and mounting and mounting. And he says, we must go to Judea. And they decided, no. It's kind of like our Sunday school curriculum this morning when, they, when Paul was saying, I must go. And everybody said, if you go, you're going to die. That's why I must go. So Jesus was literally going into the, 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 the center of all that was opposed to him. Verse 9, Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And what Christ is saying here, he says, listen, this is what I'm called to do. This is my mission. This is my calling. These are the days that I have been given. And we do what God is calling us to do. We'll go back and think about time in a minute. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, that word falling asleep means dead. He's not just resting. He's he's dead. 
The disciples said, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he had taken rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, notice that, for your sake, I am glad that he is not here so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And I ask that you just give me the words to say. Give us a mind and a heart to receive it. And let us understand each and every time that this sacred scripture is opened up. That is your word and that we can believe it and that we can trust in it. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we look at this miracle of, of raising Lazarus from the dead. And I was reading, a, actually I was reading, a part, part of people asked me, you know, what do you do in sermon preparation? How do, how do you prepare for a sermon? So I've always said, well, here's what I do. Uh, I read a lot of books, I read the scripture a lot, and a lot and a lot, I read the scripture as many times as I can read the scripture. And I read commentaries and language tools, and one of the things I also enjoy doing with technology is, is I read a lot of sermons. I'm a better reader of sermons than a listener of sermons, because if I listen to sermons in daydream, I have to go back and figure out what I, I listen to, but if I read sermons, I, I can get back on track. So I was reading a sermon by Derek Thomas, and uh, he had talked about John 11 and he said in one of the sermons that he had written an outline down in a Bible he said I don't even know where the preacher was I heard this from but something as I was reading that sermon that really gravitated me I'd never thought about it, and I'm thankful for Dr. Thomas's sermon on it he talks about God's love through this text and I was guilty like so many of us we want to get to the tomb don't we that's what we like. That's, that's what we sing about and shout about and stomp about, carry on about, get all excited, come forth. But what about getting there? Well, I, we'll get to the tomb. That's pretty exciting. But what about getting there? These 16 verses, I want to encourage you. We, we see a love of a God that is sweet and enduring and special. And a love that allows him to do things through us and around us and outside of us to accomplish his perfect will in us. So let's look at the text. One, we see a personal love. Now stay there, put something there, and then turn to Luke chapter 10. Now here, here's a neat thing about the, the, the gospel. So the gospels are written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Kind of around the same time-ish. Matthew and Mark were probably written first. And then Luke kind of would, would, would follow the same type of flow of thought from different perspectives kind of in the same time. But John came many years later. That's why John is so different than what we call the synoptic gospels. They, it's, a, it's the same message, but different things, different flow, kind of a, a different structure to it. So <laughs> John's talking about an event that took place that hadn't took place yet. 
He talks about Mary, and he talks about Martha, and he talks about Lazarus. He, he, we know them, but this is the first time that we hear about them in, in John's gospel. But the people that would have been reading John's gospel would have already read all of the gospels. And so we don't have a lot here about John, about what's going on. We just know that he loves them. Don't forget that. He loves them. And so there's a, a personal love here that Christ loves them. So look at Luke chapter 10, and let's, let's look at this. Let's start with Bethany. It says there, now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 2, I'm in John 11. I know I told you to go to Luke 10. You go to Luke 10, I'm reading John 11. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now look at Luke 10. Let's look at Bethany. Now don't, sometimes, like I say, we, we can't wait to get to the tomb, which is good. Look there in verse 38. Luke 10, 38. Now they went on their way. Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, are you anxious and troubled about many things? But one thing is necessary... Mary has chosen that good portion which will not be taken away from her. You can go to Mark's gospel and you read about Martha and Mary. We won't go there. It's Mark's gospel that tells us about the anointing and that, that Mary, this story will be told for ages to come. Well, let's look at these. Bethany. It's just a village. There's so many times I wish I could Google the population of some of these cities back in the day. They're not big cities that we would think of. Just a village. There are a lot bigger cities. A lot more well-known metroplexes that probably would have had a grander audience on a grander scale. But just Bethany. Just a little insignificant city. That God does one of the greatest miracles you could ever see. It's God's love. Using those insignificant places and things. We, sometimes we get in such a hurry to get to the big stuff. We get, we're in such a hurry to, to arrive, to get there, to, to be somebody, to have something. And all along, God's just working in Bethany. A little village. Where God just happened to show up. Bethany was a couple of miles from Jerusalem. That is why the disciples said, if we go there, that's why the persecution is. We have Martha. Poor Martha. I can relate to Martha, by the way. I like staying busy. I like doing. I like serving. I like doing something i like hey i'm on, i want to be on fire for the lord i got to be doing something there's martha
Notice in verse 38 of Luke 10, it said that Martha welcomed her into his house. This was a time in the Gospels that Jesus was hated and persecuted. It was a, they, were, they, were, they were in the process of, of trying to figure out a way to rest and to crucify and to get rid of Jesus and all the political leaders and all the government and all the, all the bigwigs. They're all against Jesus. But here's Martha. I can see it now. They had a church business meeting. Jesus needs somewhere to stay. He, who would open up the house? I got it. I'm a doer. I'll do it. The world hated Jesus, but Martha received Jesus into her home. She was a servant. She liked to give of herself because of the Lord. Jesus had to get on to her. Slow down. Quit worrying about what everybody needs to do. Quit worrying about Mary. I think part of the reason she got in trouble was she was more worried about Mary, what she needed to be doing, not that she was doing. So here you have old busy Martha. We forget about old busy Martha, don't we? Guess what? God loved her. God loved her. She opened up her home to Christ. And all she needed to do was just serve him. I need to, I need to go. I need to go. I need to go. Did she need to slow down? Yes, but God loved her. Then we have Mary. She got it. She saw something about Christ that maybe Martha and her busyness overlooked. He needs to be worshipped. And everywhere you see this Mary, it's an interesting fact, every time you see this Mary, guess where she's at? At the feet of Jesus. So Jesus said, Martha, you need to slow down and understand and be more like Mary. Here's an interesting thing about Martha. Martha was giving of herself. But sooner or later you run out. Mary understood she needed to be filled before she could give. And she was at the feet of Jesus. And guess what? God loved her. Then we have Lazarus. I mean, again, when when you're thinking about a sermon all week, he loved Lazarus. Now, guys are a little different, you know. Guys aren't running around cleaning the house up because Jesus is there. Not like Mary and more inclined of the, of the feet of Jesus and the, the emotional, spiritual aspect of it. Guys are a little different. But you know the thing about a guy? When a guy has a friend, a guy has a friend, doesn't he? Imagine being the friend of Jesus. Now, maybe I'm overthinking it, but it's not a, a spiritual, of course, I love you. I'm Jesus, and you're part of humanity. No, he loved Lazarus. 
But we don't know anything about Lazarus. I mean, what was Lazarus doing while Martha's cleaning and Mary's anointing? Lazarus, there, there's something going on there. There's a, there's a love going on there. There's a, a personal love. Now think about that. For those that are his, and I don't want to come across, okay, that, that God doesn't love unbelievers, but there's a, when you are his, there's a love there. God loves us. He loves the Marthas and the Marys and the Lazarus. There's a personal love that is there that no matter, and this is kind of an introductory message for the rest of the couple too, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what is going on in the background, no matter what is taking place because of the world that we live in, God says, I love you, Martha. I love you, Mary. I love you, Lazarus. It's going to be okay. And that's a love. We could stop right there, couldn't we? How many of us needed to hear that this morning? Regardless of what's going on, God loves us. He loved Martha for her busyness. Yes, she needed to be reminded every now and then. Now, being more like Martha than Mary, I wish Jesus would have thrown in a little side note to Mary. All right, Mary, get busy. But he loved them. A second love. There's a personal love that Jesus had. Go back to John. But there's a redemptive love. We're not, we're not going to go to the actual of the raising, but I want us to think about this. This is a, an overview of what's about to come. There's a redemptive love. He loved Mary and Martha. This whole passage is motivated by the love that he had for them, that they came to him, that he went to them, that he loved them. There's a redemptive love. There's a, a supernatural love that is going on here. There's a love that is taking place. Think about when he raised someone from the dead. Think about what took place when God raised Lazarus from the dead. There's several times where Jesus raised people from the dead, but think about this. Jairus son had just died but he had just died it was his daughter I'm sorry but she he had just died okay he, he spoke it into healing the son of Nain had died but they hadn't had the funeral yet so we have a we have a death but he just died they didn't even know they really would die but he had died the name's son died, and so got word of that. He had died, but they're on the way to the funeral. Jesus raised him from the dead. Lazarus has died. They've already had the funeral. You, you getting that? You understand the picture of that? It is the seventh, the seventh of the great miracles John has got a couple of sevens going on seven great signs or seven miracles seven I am statements these signs and these statements are Jesus telling everyone I am God I am the word in flesh 
And every one of these signs were pointing to, uh, to when these signs took place in our midst, there was no doubt. There's no doubt who gets the glory for it. The first sign, remember in chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine. And, and I don't want to make too much of it, but I think we can look at these from a progressive sense. He turned the water into wine. And then there was this festivity and there was uh, a wedding. And Jesus was invited to go to the wedding and they had run out of wine. And they go, oh my goodness, we don't have any wine. And Jesus said, hey, bring the water. I'll make some wine. And he makes wine that's the best wine they've ever had. They knew that Jesus did it. It's a very elementary type miracle. But I I think you could read into that there. Jesus is showing you're lacking joy. There's something that you're missing, and I can provide it. I'll give you the best wine. We look at John chapter 4. The official son is sick. He is near death. I mentioned that earlier. He's near death, and sickness falls on him. And Jesus said he's healed. He's no longer dead. He's alive. What a great picture that in the midst of sickness, that there's an answer to sickness. There's an answer to spiritual sickness. There's an answer to the spiritual sickness, and that answer is Jesus Christ. Death is a picture of our spiritual condition. And Jesus says, yes, you're dead. And I will make you alive. John chapter 5. Remember the paralyzed man at the pool? He can't do anything. He's dependent upon everybody. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He could not even see Jesus. And Jesus walked up to him and said, pick up your mat and get in the pool. Sin no more. What a, a great picture of absolute helplessness. There's nothing that man can do on their own without Jesus. And every one of these miracles, he is pointing to people that it is Jesus, that Jesus is the answer, that the gospel is enough. The fourth one, John chapter 6, we see the multitude without food. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, what are they going to do for nourishment? They have nothing. Tell them to bring what they have, and I will multiply. We are nothing without Jesus Christ. We're never satisfied with the things of the world. Isn't that amazing? It's one of those stories. I always give the think about people as they come to know the Lord. You know, sometimes I encounter people for a season of time before God gets a hold of them and they become believers. And as I talk to them on the front end, they're just kind of like walking through the motions. And sometimes people even say, well, I, I grew up going to church. And you kind of get this little, uh, you don't really see life change, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they get saved, as I would say. Then they get born again. I like to put an ED on the end of born. Sounds better. Then they get born again. And they want to know why everybody else is not different. And I always say, that was you last week. Well, I don't understand it because I was, I was nothing and I was struggling and I never could get peace. I never could get all that. And now that I've found Christ, that's the answer. And I'm going, yes, that's always the answer. You're never going to be full. You're never going to have enough. You're never going to be satisfied until you come to Jesus Christ. The end of John chapter 6, the fifth sign. Remember right after that, here, here we make great, humans make great disciples, don't we? 
They done seen six, they done seen 5,000 people fed. 20, counting the women and children, 20-something thousand people fed with a can of sardines and a sleeve of saltines. All right? 20,000 people fed. What do they do? They get in a boat, they cross the river, and a little storm comes into their life, and they freak out. Run for the hills. What are we going to do now? Is that not us? We'll walk out of here today. I'm not a prophet. I'm just John the Baptist. We'll walk out of here today going, he was four days late, but he was right on time. Amen. Lazarus, come forth. And we'll get in the car and something we'll think about. We'll go, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? I forgot about that. What are we going to do? And it's natural. Is that not natural? Oh, listen, Lazarus, just write that somewhere. Take lipstick and write it on your mirror in your bathroom. I'm going to do that. Sharon's out of town. That'll be fun. Don't tell her. I'm going to write that across her mirror. Lazarus, come forth. Don't tell her. Lazarus, come forth. It's right across your windshield in your car. If he can raise Lazarus from the dead, he can calm the storm in your life. That's exciting to me. So Jesus just walks over there and calms the storm. John chapter 9. I got my events mixed up, I think. John chapter 9 is where the man was blind from birth. The paralyzed man could not get into the pool. The blind man in, in chapter 9, the sixth sign, is not to read too much into it, but you could say, man, he's trying to get a little bit more progressive. The closer he gets to the cross, the more hostility he faces, the more he points to the glory of God. The more he's willing to do whatever it takes to get people to see there's a plan here. The man is born blind since birth. This is the one that Jesus had never, didn't, he didn't know Jesus. He had never seen Jesus. Jesus just walked up in the hill. And I love that little story because he said, yeah, I don't know what happened. I just heard this dude walk up. I could hear the sandals creak in the gravel. Now, see, I think about stuff like that. And all of a sudden, this guy put mud on my eyes, and I can see. And he went, remember the, Jew, the religious leaders didn't like that. Go get your parents. You know you're in trouble when your parents get called. Has he been blind since birth? Don't ask me. Ask him. Yes. What happened to him? Go ask him. What happened to you? You didn't know the blind man was a hymn, reader, a hymn writer, did you? I once was blind, but now I see. Well, what happened to you? All I can tell you now is I was blind, and now I see, and this man named Jesus is the one that did it. That's pretty, pretty hard to debate that someone had been blind from birth. That's what they were trying to prove. How long have you been blind since birth? The greater the miracle, the more opposition. There's a lot of truth in that, too. Sometimes the closer we get to the Lord, the more opposition we face. The more holy a church is willing to be, the more obedient we're willing to be, the more righteous that we're willing to be, the more opposition we're going to face. You know, sometimes as a, as a pastor, if everybody loves my preaching, I know I'm not preaching hard enough. But I guarantee you, Apostle Paul could preach in here tonight and we'd all be tore up. And then we have the seventh sign. 
dead. dead. I don't know why I wrote it three times. Dead, dead, dead. And Jesus said, come forth. Without Jesus Christ, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You want to see a love, it's a, it's a redemptive. So go back through those miracles in your mind. That's why we, I provide my little uh, outlines online so you can follow as I preach. Think If you, you can access that, look through those miracles. Every one of those miracles can represent something in our life that we're lacking, that we're needing. We know that's there. And what is the answer? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. What a great answer. God had made, you know, I don't have all, people ask me all the time, questions. I don't have all the answers. I can find them in scripture. I believe anything we, I can go to it. Sometimes you just have to tell them, I don't understand, but one thing I do know, I'm like the blind man. I once was blind and now I see. I can be like ladder. Listen, I was dead and now I'm alive. All I know is Jesus. That's all I can tell you. That's a redeeming love right there. That he was willing to do what he did for that personal love and that redeeming love. And now we see a sovereign love. The sovereignty of God, it carries the idea that just God is all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful. It's the idea that God has a plan. God's in control. He, you know, think back to that great uh, Veggie Tales theology. Not so sure vegetables and fruit need to be preaching, but anyway. One of my favorite Veggie Town, theolo- Veggie Town, uh, Veggie Tales theological truths. It was life-changing. I was at seminary. God is bigger than the boogeyman. You remember that? God is bigger than the boogeyman. Boogeyman was in the closet. God's big. I think tomato, cucumber. For those that know veggie tales, they're they're vegetables. Tell stories. The little vegetable is afraid, and and the the whole God is bigger than the boogeyman. Again, we are notorious about it. We we think about the sovereignty of God, and I'm telling you, we all do it. We will sing about it. We will proclaim it. Sometimes we pray like we believe it, but we fail to live it. He is either God or he is not God. He is not God sometime. He is God all the time. Maybe I need to write Southern gospel music. I mean, we're thinking, but we think about it, we know, we amen, we believe it, but then we just go into panic mode. Look at God's sovereign love. Verse 8, the disciples said to him, wait a minute, verse, now verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and sister Lazarus, so when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days long in the place that it was. So, you, you, you walk through this. There was a day away. Somebody, Lazarus is sick. Somebody go get Jesus. In, those, in that travel, Lazarus died. There's a day. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Jesus said, we're going to wait two days. There's two days, three days. It takes a day for Jesus to get from there to Bethany. There are your four days. 
disciples said to him, Rabbi, we're not seeking to stone you, begging there. He said, it doesn't matter what they want to do. This is what we're going to do. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Listen, Jesus is saying, listen, we've got 12 hours. We've got 12 hours of light to do the Lord's work. You've got one life to do the Lord's work. One life. And the older I get, the quicker that life becomes. One life. It's not when I get through this so many times. When I get through this phase in my life, when my children get grown, I'm going to do this. When my children get out of the house, I'm going to do this. When I retire, I'm going to do this. When I have grand, I mean, there's always some reason that we think that something's going to happen and we're going to start faithfully doing the things God is calling us to do. If you're not doing it now, there's nothing that's going to change in your life that is going to enable you to truly love and follow Christ except that you begin to today to love and to follow Jesus Christ because you've got 12 hours of light supposedly you've got only the time God has given you to do what you're going to do and then it's going to be too late that is where you're also going to find your joy and your purpose and your meaning saying these things he said to them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep then he says that he has died. Then Thomas said, well, we'll go and we'll die also. God's love is just not in the event. And so it's not, oh, God is love. He raised Lazarus from the dead. God is love, blank, at the end of the day. My, you know, when I stand before the Lord and I, you know, in glory, and I go, oh, God is love. It's not that event. It's all of life we see God's sovereign love. All of life, we see God's sovereign love working exactly the way he needs to work. It is not the event only. It's everything leading up to that event. We sing about it. We tap our foot about it. We amen it. But do we really believe that God is in control of every detail in our life? Notice this. and Three thoughts and we'll see this. The timing is of great significance. Why here? The greatest, of the, the greatest of the miracles is this miracle when he raises ladders from the dead. If you, if you look at John 11, and you, go, you finish John 11, he raises them from the dead. Immediately, I, I love this. <laughs> Jesus raises Lazarus. Next subsection in the ESV notes, the plot to kill Jesus. He raises Lazarus from the dead, the plot to kill Jesus, Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany, the plot to kill Lazarus, then we go into the, the, the triumphant entry in chapter 12. This is it. Raising Lazarus from the dead is God saying, he is who I say he is. And he raises the dead man from the dead. Now go to the cross. The timing's perfect. Four days late is perfect. The village of Bethany is perfect. Everything God had done through Jesus leading up to this point is perfect. When we think about God's sovereign love, think about what, what this picture shows us. We see that there's a God that raises men and women from the dead. What a picture. 
When Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He paid the penalty for our sin. We are dead in our trespasses. Turn, if you will. We need to be careful because anytime I turn to Ephesians 2, it takes me two hours to get back to the message. I'll do it in two minutes, I promise. (laughs) Ephesians 2. Well, at least you spoke the truth in love. I love it. Ephesians 2. Here we go. Lazarus, come forth. Dead. Ephesians 2.1. And you were... Does that mean asleep? Resting? It means dead. Spiritually dead. But you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And for the sake of keeping it within two minutes... Children of wrath, like the rest of man. So we're dead. It's a spiritual dead. We're, we're created in mankind. is You know, God says creation is good. And so there's a goodness that God's love for all humanity in the world. But when it comes to spiritually and what Christ had come to do, apart from Christ spiritually, that's the issue. Apart from Jesus Christ spiritually, we are dead, dead, dead. In our trespasses and sin verse number four circle this but God Martha and Mary Jesus is here take me to the tomb Lazarus come forth the moment you got saved that's what you heard come forth But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up, and seated us up him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no man may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Glory, hallelujah. Lazarus, come forth. What a picture for us. Now, I don't know. I, 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 I daydream a lot. What did Lazarus do when he came out of that tomb? I bet he took off running and jumped up in the arms of Jesus. That's what I would have done. Woo, glory, thank you. He might would have said, no, he might have said, what'd you do that for? Good gracious, me and Abraham were hanging out, singing Gaither songs. I just can't imagine. What a picture. You know, you look at the world, we, we think, man, the world is a, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. 
What are we going to do? What, what are we going to do as a church? We've got to figure this thing out. We've got we to adjust our programs. We've got we to gotta tweak the way that we're doing things. We've got we to gotta, we gotta figure out how we can get these people in church. We've got to fix this world. We need to vote this one in and vote that one out. We've got to pass this law. We've got to pass this thing. And we've got to do this. And we've got to do that. And we've got to do this. No, we don't. We just need to ask Jesus to come to Bethany. We need to preach the gospel to the masses. You know, it's funny, in my life, I hadn't taken the first seminary class when I got saved. Amen? I didn't know what superlapsarianism meant. You don't either, do you? I forgot, but I used to know. I remember sitting in theology class going, write this thing. True story. Uh, I, 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 I told uh, Dylan when he went to seminary, I said, I'm going to buy you the greatest book you've ever had. He thought I was going to come up with like 18-volume, $10,000 set of commentaries. It's an $11 book that defines theological terms. And I remember being in seminary, and they'd say something, I'd go, okay, go ahead. <laughs> now I know what superlapsarianism means. You can continue, sir. All I know, I was sitting up in the balcony at Rehoboth Baptist Church in Tucker, Georgia. And Jesus Christ said, come forth. That's all I knew. I didn't understand theologically what was all going on and all this, that, and the other. All I know is that man preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I had been around the gospel my whole life. I'd grown up in church. I was sitting up there, and all I heard was come forth, and I came forth. I was dead in my, going to church believing in the things of God, but spiritually I was dead because I'd never repented of my sin and placed my faith in Christ. I have never come to Christ. I was sitting up there dead in my trespasses and sin, but God, rich in his mercy, said, John, come forth. And I stand here today a redeemed child of God. After four days, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll close with this. After four days, we see God's love on display. We already see that Jesus said, I love you. I love Martha. I love Mary. I love Lazarus. But God's love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. Yes, Martha and Mary couldn't figure out why they let Lazarus die. Lazarus was probably thinking, why am I sick? Why? And I die. There's a lot of things that are going on, but, but God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is a, a perfecting love. God does not guarantee no heartache as we live this side of heaven. He just says, come forth, and then you'll live. And he, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and they want to turn around and kill him again. But oh, what a personal love and a redeeming love and a sovereign love God has for us. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us that is displayed so greatly through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us today to see that and to understand that and to embrace that. Lord, if there's anyone here today that is struggling with their assurance and who they are in Christ, I pray that, Lord, today would be the day of their salvation. And as we sing, 
as we think, as we contemplate the word that we have just heard, I pray that today would be that day that those words are heard. Come forth. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You're here.